I'm going to throw in a few more facts here about guide dogs. So, the do's and don'ts about interacting with a guide dog team. Don't pet the dog because they're working. That can be very distracting for them. Don't make kissy noises or say, oh, hi, doggy, or here, doggy, or, like, talk to the dog or anything because that's also really distracting. And you also, if the handler gives you the dog's name, please don't say their name because that can really distract them. And also, if it is that you are walking with a guide dog team, don't walk on the team's left side because it can distract the dog. You can ask them if you could walk right behind the right shoulder or if they would like to follow. So those are just like the the do's and don'ts. And then for do's, just, just be mindful and be courteous and just respect the fact that the team is working and that the dog shouldn't be distracted in any way and now we're going to be welcoming our guests really soon. Hello. Hi. Hi there. How are you? Hey. I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So guys, this is our second guest, Elaine Mara. Hi. And Hello. <laughs> she went to Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Yes, ma'am. That's right. 3 times graduated from there. Wow, that's awesome. So, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and then tell us a little bit about the process about applying for a dog and going away and everything? Sure. A little bit about me. Um, I have a master's degree in student affairs and higher education administration and a bachelor's degree in English professional writing with a minor in women's studies and a specialization in public relations, both from Kutztown University of Pennsylvania. Go Golden Bears. Um, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years since I got my college degree, but a lot has happened since then. Um I currently work as the career counselor for the Lighthouse of Central Florida, um, helping people with vision loss live, learn, and earn with vision loss. And it's a completely empowering program, and um, it has given me the chance to use my vision loss to help other people. So I I, um, absolutely love working with people with vision loss, and uh, that actually started a lot when I went to college, but when I was in undergrad, I met my best friend uh, from college who had a guide dog from Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and we we were talking uh, one day, and she said, if you ever need a guide dog, if you ever are interested in getting one, let me know, and I can hook you up with Guiding Eyes for the Blind. So, that's exactly what I did. I didn't find myself needing a guide dog for quite a while. Um, I had brain surgery number one in 2011 or yeah, 2011 and things were okay. I got the vision back that I had lost, but then in 2013, I found myself needing another surgery. And unfortunately that one did 
permanently take a lot of my visual field. And I was finding that my confidence was not where it should be in terms of traveling. So oh, wow. I once, once again, I reached out to my friend and I said, Gina, can I have the number for Guiding Eyes, please? And she sent me the admissions information and I got in touch with the school. Um, and it turns out that she was actually headed back to Guiding Eyes in the summer of 2014. So I, I was like, well, this is kind of perfect. So I called Guiding Eyes. I went through their process for admission. Um, they required an eye report from my eye doctor stating that I was legally blind. They And they required me to fill out an extensive application just asking about my lifestyle, asking about my vision, what I was having trouble with, and... Um, you know, what my, what my lifestyle was like, what kinds of places I went to, what, what jobs I had, what, you know, who I was as a person. Cause they, they like to, to get to know their, their students. So then within say maybe about a week or so, I got uh, an email back from Guiding Eyes saying that they were going to schedule a home interview uh, with one of their field reps. We have field reps that live across the country and work with graduates out in the field. And they also work with prospective students. So my field rep at the time came out and did a very extensive three hour long interview asking me again, about my lifestyle, where I, where I worked, what I did for hobbies, what kind of neighborhood I lived in, where, you know, my family lived to see how much traveling between their home and my home I do. And they also looked at how I walked, what my gait was like, what my pace was like, how I, how confident or not confident I was walking down a sidewalk, crossing streets. They really took a lot of information from me in that short little three hours time. And they actually videotaped me walking a familiar route. And it had to include street crossings, had to include um, some obstacles and, you know, just everyday things so that they, so that the admissions committee could see what kind of person I was, what kind of traveler I was, what kind of environment they were going to potentially be placing a dog in. Then the admissions committee took all of my information and all of the videos they got together and they went through all of my information. They combed through it. They talked extensively about which program I'd best fit into and if they had a dog in mind coming through the kennels and within a couple of weeks of my application, I actually did get a uh, acceptance from them stating that they were going to accept me into the program and to wait for further information because they didn't exactly know which class they were going to put me in at which time I mentioned that my best friend who had referred me to the school was actually going back for a successor dog and would absolutely love to be in class with her if possible. 
but I understood that that, you know, may not happen. So they, they came back and they said, well, actually we do have a dog that we think would work best for you. We, um, he'd actually be ready in the same class that your friend's coming in. They said you'd be, you'll be in class about a week or so longer than your friend. Cause my friend was going through the shortened training program right. because she had already had mm-hmm. a dog. So we went to class together for three weeks in June of 2014. I met my very first guide dog. His name was Kyle. And actually Kyle just had a birthday uh, yesterday. So it, the, the timing's kind of perfect. So this this um, presentation I'm giving today goes out to my very first dog, Mr. Kyle. He turned seven yesterday. And um, he showed me what it was to walk with confidence again. Because when you walk with a dog, you put your trust in that dog. And for some people, it's very difficult to relinquish that control and to give over that trust to a dog. But for me, I don't know what it was, but it was so easy. Once I met him, once we spent some time together, it was really easy to say, okay, I trust you. I trust you to get me out of trouble. If I, if I find that, you know, I give you a command that's not right. Or if there's an unsafe situation and over the course of the three weeks of training, we bonded so tightly. I didn't think our bond could get any closer, any tighter. Um, During class, we had two routes a day, one-on-one with an instructor. And we also did some small uh, doubles routes and small group travel uh, at various times throughout class. We did everything from small side streets and country sidewalkless travel all the way through crossing big intersections in white plains, going to the mall, taking escalators, taking trains, taking buses, working in every kind of weather. Cause actually during class that year, it rained, I think almost oh, every no. single day, Wow! every single day, Kyle and I were out and it was raining and we were toweling off when we'd get back into back to the lounge. But it, in all honesty, that was really helpful because for me, the adverse weather conditions really affect how I travel. They affect my speed. They affect my pace. And I still have usable vision, but in the rain, when my glasses are fully fogged up and covered in water, I really can't see anything at all. So it really went in as a trust exercise because I had to be able to trust him when I could see my surroundings and I could use my vision for pretty much the only thing it's useful for, finding landmarks, to really not being able to see anything at all and trusting that he was still, regardless, going to get me safely from point A to point B. And that was a really poignant exercise and really came in handy, too, when we did our night walk. Every class we do, we would do a um, a night walk. We'd go out later, 7.30, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night when it's completely dark so that those of us who have usable vision can get a sense of how our dogs work when we really can't see anything at all. Right. 
and we really have to rely on them more. And we tend to walk differently. We tend to carry ourselves differently when we are in a situation where our vision isn't useful. So it's good for the dogs to get to know that too, that it's like, hey, if she's walking a little bit differently, I need to kind of adjust how I'm doing things. And doing that night walk, my first night walk was so powerful. It was enlightening because I realized at that point that it didn't matter if it was dark out, if it was light out, if it was storming, if it was nice, if it was hot, cold, this, that, anything. As long as I had my dog by my side and I trusted him to make decisions, I could pretty much go anywhere and do anything that I needed to do. And then came the New York City walk. Every class, every uh, training uh, month, the trainers take the class to New York City to navigate some very busy streets, some very crowded streets, and some really loud and really daunting environments for those of us who are interested. Now, Guiding Eyes is an amazing school because they don't make us do anything that's not going to be beneficial to us or is not going to be comfortable for us. So there are people out there that don't live in big cities, don't ever go to big cities. So Guiding Eyes doesn't put them through the task of learning to navigate in the city if it's not appropriate for the person's situation. But I decided, hey, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I want to try it. Let's see. And the day I spent in Manhattan with my very first dog was solidifying, really cementing my decision to get a guide dog. Because I said, if I can navigate New York City where it's not very familiar and it's busy, it's loud, then I can pretty much do anything. And... I had the best time going into New York City with my very first guide. He dealt with it like a pro. I he'd been there a few times before. They do they do expose the dogs to New York City to see if they would really be city dogs or country dogs. But they expose every one of them because every student has the option to go. They they don't say no, you can't go to the city. If you want to go to the city, they're going to take you to the city. And It was so freeing to just fly through the city, to just be in the crowds of people and to know that I wasn't going to be hitting anybody in the back of the ankle with a cane or the cane wasn't going to be getting stuck in some of the trash or some of the the big cracks in the sidewalks. And I was just going to get to be one in the crowd. And it was amazing. I got to walk down by the Guggenheim Museum. I walked a little bit by Central Park. I did, um, they were kind of, it was kind of less crazy, the areas of New York City, Manhattan that we went to that year, but it was perfect for a first time handler to go and just experience a little bit heightened uh, excitement. That's awesome. for, For training. And I did this, I absolutely enjoyed working with Kyle when he when he was with me. Unfortunately, though, after about 14 months of working together, 
from graduation, Kyle decided that maybe guide work wasn't for him. And when I, and I say he decided that I truly mean it. Some people think that, you know, service dogs are just exploited and they, they work, 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 and their handlers work them to death and they don't have any respect for the dogs. But that is so untrue. That is absolutely not true at all because he told me in his way, in his very special way, mom, I don't want to do this anymore. I, you know, I don't know why, you know, of course they're not human, so they can't exactly explain themselves, but he said in his way by just laying down in the middle of the sidewalk and then not wanting to put the harness on again, that I don't don't want to do this anymore. And that was really hard for me because I was in love with the guide dog lifestyle. Here I was, I had this brand new independence and this confidence. And I was a completely different person with a dog than I was just walking around with a cane. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of selfish. I was like, Kyle, why are you doing this to me? But then I took a step back and I realized, you know what? He's a living, breathing being and if he's not comfortable doing this work anymore if he doesn't want to do this anymore who am I to make him do Mm -hmm. it who am I to put myself in danger and Mm -hmm. him because if he doesn't want to do it he's not going to be doing his job the way that he needs to and so along with guiding eyes we made the decision after some assessment And after he went back to New York for a couple weeks that he wasn't going to be coming home to me. And that was the most difficult conversation to have with actually with a total stranger at that point, the head of the training department at the time called me and he goes, he said, I know you don't know me, but we need to talk. And I just cried. I was in tears. And, and I, and I said to him, I said, is it something I did? Is it something I didn't do? Was it my lifestyle was, and he said, no, it's nothing you did. It's just, he, there's just something going on in his head that he just doesn't want to do this anymore. And we all respect that from him. And he, he said, you know, this happens more often than is advertised, more often than people think that the dogs are living, breathing creatures and they have a mind of their own. So he said, with that, we have to retire him early. And, you know, I, after I came to terms with it, I said, you know, that's the best thing for him. It's the best thing for Kyle. And as long as he goes to a loving, caring home, I'm okay with that. And because at the time I hadn't had him for two years yet. And for guiding eyes, dogs that retire before they're in service for two years, the handler doesn't have any sort of claim to the dog. They can't decide where they go. They can't decide to keep them. But they reassured me that Kyle was going back to his puppy raiser. So his puppy raiser has him now, has had him ever since. And I'm friends with her on Facebook. I see her posts all the time. And Kyle is happier 
than he really was the last few months that he worked for me. He was, he's a totally different dog. He's enjoying being a pet. He enjoys going to work with his, with his human and teaching obedience classes. Cause that boy may not have wanted to be a guide dog, but he's a very obedient boy. His obedience was on point all the time. You know, he was perfect. So I look at it as he's doing what he was meant to do. He was meant to be mine to show me what having a guide dog is like, to show me what kind of confidence I could have, and to introduce me to having a dog because I had never had a pet dog. Oh, wow. You know, I had my uncles had dogs when I was growing up, but I never did. So Kyle was really that easy introduction to caring for a dog, living with a dog, working a dog. And so how can I not do what's best for him? How can I, how could I be selfish? And so now I I follow him on Facebook. I I see all the parties that his, (laughs) his mom throws for him and all his doggy friends (laughs) and all of the tricks that he's learned. And, you know, it just makes me smile. It makes my heart happy that he's happy doing what he's meant to do. So then a couple months after I got that call that he was retiring, I got another call that said, Hey, we have a dog for you. You want to come back to class? And I said, Oh yes, please. And so in November of 2015, I met my second guide, uh, sis. She was a a tiny little 52 pound black lab female. She was flipping cannonball. She had so much energy. She was a wild child, but her guide work was on point. She was loving the job. The butt was wiggling in the harness. Every time we'd walk by a plate glass window with the reflective, <laughs> this little girl would look at herself and she would start prancing like, yep, I am hot stuff and I'm doing such a good job. And she was really a solid, solid dog. She... She brought me out of my shell again. Mm -hmm. She helped me make so many friends. And it was, it was like, uh, there's really no words to describe sis because she was absolutely phenomenal. And with her, I actually moved from Pennsylvania to Florida for my first job in Florida, uh, working as a learning specialist and academic advisor for a college for students with learning differences. And she not only helped me navigate a new state, a new area, new campus, new relationships with friends and you know students, but she really helped my students to come out of their shell. And it was kind of like she served a double purpose. She was my guide dog, but she sometimes served as my student's therapy dog because mm-hmm. These students would come from across the country and they would be missing their dogs like crazy. So anytime they saw the learning specialist with the dog, they came by and they just sometimes they would just sit with her and, you know, just cry or laugh or talk about homesickness or whatever. And it was it was magic. And sis 
being the energetic dog that she was, she was always go, go, go. So I could take her anywhere. So we traveled a lot. Um, planes, trains, buses, the whole nine yards. <laughs> <laughs> but with says she just, she, we traveled from Florida to new back to New York for the guiding eyes first, uh, continuing education seminar where they got 70 guide dog teams plus puppy raisers and, um, volunteers together and we spent three days learning from each other and just spending time among guiding eyes teams oh, wow. and we went completely by ourselves and we met some deaf blind graduates who were not only blind or visually impaired but they also had hearing loss and those women traveled to this conference by themselves with their dogs. Wow. Completely independent. And it was really an enlightening experience because you really realize that you're not in this alone and that there are people out there who can't see, can't hear, but that doesn't mean they're going to be in their apartments or in their homes, just shout, shut out from the world. They're out there doing things. They're out there getting to know people and spreading awareness of the guide dog movement mm -hmm. and the guide dog lifestyle. And that was a memory that I know I'm going to cherish forever, even, even now that Sis is retired. I'll never forget walking through the White Plains Airport on at the end of that conference and being shown to the holding area if you will they had a designated space where they uh had all of people with disabilities that needed assistance to get to their planes and it just so happened that that particular day that particular time that entire holding area was full of guiding eyes graduates and their dogs that is awesome <laughs> um we had it was fantastic and we were the early group out so apparently we heard afterwards at the end of all of this and after all of the teams had gone home that the white plains airport with the afternoon group that left they told their the afternoon group they're like wait a minute you were part of that big conference weren't you and they're all like yeah why how'd you know they're like we had about half of your your group in here earlier and it just goes to show you that the respect that people have for our school and for the movement in general because this particular airport was overrun with guide dogs that day and wow. they still they had a sense of humor about it and I took that with me throughout the last the couple of years after that that I had sis and just those memories are forever burned in my brain and you know, when she decided that she had had enough, she started having problems turning left. She didn't want to turn left. And for a guide dog, turning left is, that's, that's quite a, quite a feat because they're pulling into the harness really, really heavily. And they're really taking the lead into a left-hand turn. Unlike a right-hand turn where they're kind of pushing at their human. So the human has to make the the move first before they do um when they have to take the lead sometimes some dogs find that that difficult to do and 
that was her way of telling me she didn't want to do this anymore. We had several left-hand turns in our routes every day. And she just, she'd blow through them or she'd stop and she would bear down and she just would put the brakes on like you wouldn't believe. And so I'd end up having to heal her. So dropping the harness handle and walking her through a left-hand turn and then pick the harness handle back up and continue on. And, you know, if that was once or twice, okay, that wouldn't be too bad. You know, I could, I could handle it once or twice every now and again, things happen, but we took a lot of left-hand turns through our days. And that was really something that I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. So I had a trainer come down and take a look at her and, Again, they, the school came, took her back to Guiding Eyes, worked with her for a couple weeks, and then I got the phone call. Oh, wow. And I got the phone call while I was on spring break with a, with a friend who I hadn't seen in years. I was actually visiting her in New Jersey, and the phone rings, and I see who it is. I have this woman's direct line programmed into my phone and I'm like oh this isn't good I love this woman to death she's fantastic I love her personality but when you see her number come up on your phone and you have a dog that's gone back to the school sometimes it can get a little scary Mm -hmm. so I picked up and I and I had a little quiver in my voice and I'm like hi and she goes Elaine you know who this is and I'm like yes and she goes I have to be the bearer of bad news. And I'm like, sis has to retire, doesn't she? And this lady said to me, she goes, we've been working with her. We've been trying to figure out what's happening. And we can't get her to consistently and confidently work again. She's just not responding the way we thought she would. So we have to we have to do what's best for her and for you. She said she's not going to be a safe dog working for you anymore. So this time I had had her for two years. I actually had her for over two years. And I had applied several months before this for her title. So I had... I had ownership, technically, if if you call it that, and um, I was able to have a have a hand in where Sis went upon her retirement. So the first thing I did when I got home from vacation after sending in my application because my friend said you need to apply for a dog right away and you need to do it while you're here because we're going to help you through it. Uh, but I got when I got home, I called my uncle and who lives in New York, and he said, "Here's the situation. Would you?" And he goes, "Yes." Didn't even have to finish the sentence. He's like, "Yes, we'll take her." Well, what do we have to do? And so I told him to hang tight, and um, I called the school back and worked it out that my uncle in fact, was going to be able to adopt sis and give her the home that she deserves. So now she's living with my uncle, his fiance, and their dog, Trevor, 
who happens to be a black lab greyhound mix. And he's a little bit older than she is. So she kind of has a big brother, but she's the confident one. (laughs) She brings him out of his shell when he's, when he's really scared of something that's happening, he looks to her for the confidence. And I just had a visit from my uncle and his fiance a couple weeks ago. And they said, you know, Elaine's sis is loving her life. She is going on walks every day. She's getting to play with other dogs. She's, you know, just being a dog and she's having a great life, a great time. And actually when I went back to class for my third dog, who is a German shepherd named Kaylee, um, on graduation day, my uncle and his fiance were there and who was in the back seat of their car, but little miss sis. And Angie, I tell you after graduation, when I went out to see her, she lost her mind. Wow. When she saw me, she about jumped (laughs) out of the back of the car, (laughs) her paws over my shoulders. And she gave me one heck of a licking. I'm so glad it was after graduation because the girl really messed up my makeup. Wow. But I didn't care because I had my girl back in my arms again and she was so happy to see me. And I, that's when I realized that I made the right decision for her because she's happy where she is, but she still remembered me. And I, I was in tears. She was literally licking the tears off my face because I was so happy to see her. (laughs) But you know, now they send me pictures of, of, sis and trevor together walking along you know walking along the city streets going out you know into the woods on their hikes and dressing up for halloween so i know she's where she needs to be and now i have kaylee my german shepherd we graduated in october of last year so we're still a fairly new team in terms of our relationship but she is a solid dog She's very different than the other two, but she has a personality. Um, She's really solid in her work. She doesn't get distracted by people. She gets distracted by lizards, but I realize that's because she, like sis, didn't grow up around lizards. So we we have to expose our we have to expose my dogs to lizards because they come scurrying across the sidewalk, and before we know it, um, the dog is wanting to go play with the with the toy that just ran across the sidewalk. But she's getting much better with that. And together we take the train every day to work. We, um, we see clients on a fairly regular basis and we talk about what it's like to live with a guide dog or helping people who've recently lost their vision to understand that, yes, it happened, but there is life after vision loss and we can help, we can help you with that. And she's, she's kind of become the office dog uh, for the particular space that I'm in. I, I work in a cubicle in a room with maybe about 10 other people. And I'm the only handler in the room. So we close the doors every so often and we just let her run and have a good time. So she's always happy to be at work, happy to see people. And the other two dogs that work in the building with their humans uh they work on the first floor so we see them from time to time and actually one of the other handlers is working 
a dog, a yellow lab who is the brother of my first dog. Kyle. Oh, wow. So he just had a birthday. Um, so it's really, it's really interesting to, to work among other guide dog handlers because I never had, I was always the only person with a vision impairment that was working wherever I was working. So I was the only one with a dog. Uh, but now that I work for a blindness related organization, everybody is respectful of Kaylee when she has Mm -hmm. a harness on. But they also like to partake in the dog therapy when I take the harness off, take the leash off, and let her run. So she has helped me make friends. And we make friends every day on the train. One of the conductors knows us very well now. And uh, Kaylee knows him very well because he brings her a treat every, every week or so. And it is handler approved. He does not feed it to her directly. He gives it to me to give to her so that I can make sure that it's exactly Uh what I want her to be eating. So, but he's very, he's very good about, you know, not sneaking anything to her. Everybody that I sit around on the train, they know that she's working and they're very respectful of her. I don't really have to worry about the people that I meet, that I see every day not interfering with her because they they know the deal Mm. but it's those people that i see that i don't see every day the random passerby that i really have to um kind of educate on the fly because i have i have bicyclists that like to ride straight at us to see what the dog will Mm -hmm. do and several of them have ended up in the bushes because they haven't paid attention right and they're like well your dog should have gotten out of the way and i'm like but you're sighted. We're traveling in a straight line. You can move. So we have, so it's a whole education process. And I find that handlers that don't want to be the education type are the handlers that give the, the guide dog movement a bad rap because at least for guide with guiding eyes graduates, they spend a lot of time with us. Mm -hmm educating us on how we have to be the educators and how walking into a room with a guide dog pretty much all eyes are going to be on us because dogs aren't supposed to be in public and so if you don't want that kind of attention you really shouldn't be having you really shouldn't be a handler but I encourage everybody that I know who is thinking about it to talk to a school to have them do a Juno walk, which is a uh, a walk with a ha- with an empty right. harness, where the trainer holds the chest strap of the harness, and the person who's interested holds onto the handle, and the instructor teaches a little bit of footwork, teaches the basic hand motions and body positioning, and actually behaves like a dog would. So if they, you know, dogs tend to sniff, so sometimes they. They'll go off course a little bit and see how you correct if you want to correct them or how how you handle that situation. They stop at curbs and all changes in elevation. And, you know, they they can really show you what it's going to be like Mm -hmm. before you actually get a dog in the harness. Because with a Juno walk, you're not responsible for caring for the dog, feeding them, watering them, entertaining them. So you really get a sense of if this is going to be the right mode of transportation for you. Um, Because you do, 
you do get lost a lot faster with a dog than you do with a cane. Right. Because with a cane, you can you can count those lampposts from your from the corner to your next mm-hmm. turn. You can count those suckers, but when you're flying down the sidewalk with a dog who does not want to come into contact with them, yeah, you gotta find another way to know where you right. are. Right. And so, for anybody that's watching a guide dog team work, I always say it's not the dog doing all the work. Yeah. Because people seem see people seem to think that that the dogs do all the work. They know exactly where they're going, no matter where yep. you are. It's like no. Yep. We have to teach our dogs where they where they're going and how to get right. there. But once the dog learns the route, believe me, they they get it set in their mind that that's where they're going, and there's less problems exactly. that needs to happen. Exactly. Because, like when we go to work every day, this dog knows where we're headed, and if we happen to take a different way or we happen to go to a different place. Uh, she looks at me with this disgusted look on her face, like, excuse me, do you not trust me? Do you not trust that I know where I'm going? Right. And it is the funniest thing because I can be seen at times having an argument with my dad <laughs> because it's like, no, dude, we're going this way. Right. Like the other day we were going to a doctor's appointment down the street from where I live and it's on the same block as the train station, but you have to cross the street to get to the doctor's office. Well, I told Kaylee to take a right to go to the curb, and she looked at me like, no, we're, we, we got to go straight because we got to go to the train. I'm like, no, we're going to the doctor, so we go this way. You know, so if you ever see a guide dog handler kind of looking at their dog kind of funny, sometimes we are having arguments with them because we have a power struggle going on. But it is the, but it is a lot of fun. It's it's, you know, it's nothing really serious. Right. Most of us have a great sense of humor when it comes to our dogs thinking they know better than right. we do. Because in some circumstances they do, because guide dogs are are taught intelligent disobedience. disobedience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you tell them to go to take. To if you give them a direction, you tell them to go off a curb, and there's a car coming that we don't account for, they won't go right because yeah. it's all self preservation. They they don't want to uh you know they they don't want to get injured, so they don't want their person to get injured, so they don't right. go and they wait for it to be exactly. safe to do that exactly. But you but people also have to understand that it's also humans responsibility to read the environment and to not force their dog to make those decisions all the time Mm -hmm. because if if the dogs are forced to to make those decisions all the time if they're confronted with vehicles that aren't stopping for them and they're in harm's way and they're close to getting hit or touched or anything it can actually end a a dog's working career and you know people that are running stoplights or they're parking in the middle of the intersections because they think they can get through a light and they don't, they think, Oh, it's not bad. They can just find their way around. Right. They can just walk around it. Cause, but it's like, no, you don't understand that they may be able to find their way halfway around your car, but they don't know. We don't know what's on the other side of your car. Right. And somebody could come flying through on the other side of your car and cause a big old problem right and then you know something major happens and dog doesn't want to work anymore because they get scared that 
that thing's going to happen to them again. Right. And exactly. And dogs, dogs learn through, through operant, operant conditioning. Kimberly, do you have anything that you want to ask Elaine? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't realize there was oh, another person. Yeah. No, sorry. it's okay. I'm so sorry. There's our co-host. This is my co-host, oh, hi, Kimberly. Kimberly. <laughs> hi. Hi, Yeah, I've just been listening and very fascinating, everything you've been saying. Um, where can you um, go into where the school was and kind of talk about a little bit about how you – had to travel to that school and uh, do the training there. Okay. Well, Guiding Eyes for the Blind is located in Westchester County, New York, uh, in a town called Yorktown Heights. But they also have their breeding facility is in Patterson, New York, and they have a satellite training facility in White Plains because Yorktown Heights is a tiny little town with very little... uh, cross street very few street crossings and and very few uh training opportunities so we travel to white plains to do a lot of our day-to-day training um guiding eyes specifically does cover the cost of travel to and from class for any of their students they cover room and board um, they and they do all of the scheduling. So once a student commits to going to class, they actually hop online and they buy the the plane tickets, make the reservations, and send us the itinerary. And they actually do send us bag tags, which is fantastic. They're bright green, uh, like neon tags so that somebody can find our luggage when we get to the airport. They'll fly us into several different airports and actually meet us at the airport. Some of our trainers will come and they know that we're coming. They, and they work with the TSA agents that work at the airport to make sure that they help, that the the agents help their uh, potential, their clients find them. Uh, Because it's not like they're wearing neon green shirts. And sometimes in the bigger airports, it can be difficult to find people. So, you know, they have a really good relationship with the local airports so that they can make the connection as easy as possible. Uh, so when I went to get Kaylee, uh, I actually had to fly. When I went to get my first two dogs, my parents drove me to campus because we lived only a couple hours away so and it was my first couple times so they wanted to make sure that I got to where I was going and everything but this time I I flew alone and I flew from Orlando to Charlotte so I did have to make a connection and Guiding Eyes made sure that there was an agent that was ready to help me through the airport because Charlotte is a very big airport and it just so happened that my that my connecting flight was on the other side of the airport always the case (laughs) exactly and we hit we hit bad weather in orlando before i left so my flight was delayed and i had originally only had like uh maybe two hours between flights so between the delay and and we had a weather delay, and then I think we had a mechanical delay, too. Oh, wow. So by the time I got to Charlotte, I literally had no time. The pl- my, my little puddle jumper that was waiting for me 
was literally waiting for me. And so the TSA agent goes, okay, we got to go. I'm like, I have no time to do anything. They're like, nope, you, we, your plane is waiting for you. It's full. It's ready to go, but they're waiting for oh, you. Wow. So we ran, we literally jogged the entire way from one end of the airport to the other. It got on the plane. It was a little, it was a tiny little two, one aisle with two seats on each side. And the poor guy that was sitting on the aisle, he was, he was all snuggled in and ready for his flight. And I had to make him get up so I could get in my seat and we could leave. Then I got to, got to White Plains and I know my way around the White Plains airport because I've flown in there now several times. And so I met up with, with the trainers and actually one of the, uh, people who came to get me was our, uh, instructor assistant for class. So we, we got to spend some time getting to know each other on our way back to campus. And we had a couple of other people that we picked up along the way, uh, cause they pick up in, in groups. So they picked up a group of us from the white plains airport and, uh, drove us to, drove us to campus and got us settled in and, it, we we had training for 21 days and it was absolutely amazing and then the day after graduation they did the same thing they woke us up before the sun rose because the earliest flight went out at like seven o'clock so we had to be at the airport at like five in the morning which meant we had to leave yorktown heights at maybe four ish so we got no sleep the night after graduation and they drove us to the airport and because we were brand new teams Guiding Eyes actually gets permission from the airport to walk handlers to their gates with their dogs. Oh, wow. So they, ha- so I had an instructor with me and because I was the only one going out of my particular gate, I had a one-on-one instructor who came with me. She walked me all the way through security, helped me, you know, the whole way to the gate and, you know, Navigating an airport is very different with a dog, and we do simulation exercises during class, but you never finish learning with a guide dog. Even after graduation, you still have to learn how to do things. So they they make sure that we get actually on our plane. Um, For some people, they have to go down down the tarmac with them, but for me, I know you know I, I travel a lot, so the tarmac is nothing that I don't know. So. I was able to, uh, you know, get on the plane and ask the the flight attendant to help me find my seat and get my dog situated. And because she's a shepherd, she's she's a bigger dog, a little bit longer than my labs. So I'm like, how am I going to crunch her underneath the seat? Because we didn't have bulkhead seating. But I just took her harness off and I stored it in the seat back pocket in front of me and Kaylee just curled up in a ball underneath the seat and away we went. The people next to me barely even realized there was a dog sitting under the seat until I got up and she shook off. And then they're like, wait, there was a dog sitting. Under the seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And so then after, you know, after graduation, guiding eyes follows up, they follow up with a phone call a couple weeks after we get home just to check in and see how things are going. And, you know, if we need any advice, they call again about maybe about a month, two months after that initial phone call. 
And then within a couple of months, our field reps come down um, and check on us to make sure things are going well. And it just so happened that I had a few questions and I had something I, I needed them to work on with me. So we killed two birds with one stone. They came down. He came down and uh, took a look at where we lived, took a look at the routes we worked and made sure that my dog was doing what she needed to do and that she was comfortable in the situation. And cause the trainers have all the information they have, but they're not here. They're not with us in our hometowns right. in our home areas. So sometimes it's good to have boots on the ground and to get somebody down here to take a look at, at whatever's happening. So he came down, he gave us a new collar. He checked us out and we've been great ever since but guiding eyes always provides follow-up services for the lifetime of a partnership so every couple of years we have we'll have scheduled visits from our field rep but if anything comes up before then i can always call them and ask her advice and use the techniques that they that we talk about and evaluate the situation and if something comes up then Dave will come down before before the he's scheduled to come down for his own visit. And every so often when he just happens to be in the area, you know, guiding eyes is one giant family. So if he's in the area and he has time to stop by, he'll stop by for dinner or stop by to just say hi or to check out an event or something that's that we're involved with. And that's what I really love about guiding eyes because they're such a family. They they don't just graduate their their teams and say, okay, just call us when you need another dog. No, they they call and make sure that the dogs are healthy. They help us with our veterinary expenses. They provide stipends for us every year um, through generous donations from uh, from organizations and individuals that pay for our veterinary costs and and they reimburse. If, uh, if the vet won't bill guiding eyes directly, then, uh, I'll pay the vet and I'll just put in for a reimbursement out of my account that I have with guiding eyes and we go on our way. I mean, that includes everything from preventative spleen and tick medications all the way through to specialized antibiotics and, uh, medications or procedures that the dog might need. And if more major medical concerns come up sometimes the dogs will go back to the vets at guiding eyes and they'll be checked out and then they'll come back to us you know so our entire organization works with us wherever we are whatever we need they're here for us and um that's their entire process you're never really done with them once you graduate once you have one of their dogs you have them for life that's awesome awesome i know that's a little more of what more than what you ask but sometimes you know you get me talking about these kinds of things and it's like oh i think people need to know about this and this no you actually you actually covered uh you know things that we were gonna talk about like the process of retirement and they always say that your first dog like it's the transition is not the easiest from from your first dog to your second nope. so and i and i tell you it gets harder it was harder even to transition from my second to my third because because you're always going back to puppy whether you've had your dog for a year two years five years seven years you're always going from a dog that has gotten out of puppy and you're going back to puppy. Yeah, go back to and puppy. So I like that. You're going back to puppy. 
and because these dogs are t- around two years mm-hmm. when they uh, are placed. Although Kyle was my only two-year-old that I got. I, I got him after he turned two. Sis was about, uh, I think she was maybe 20 months. When, no, 18. She was about 18 months um, when I got her. So she wasn't two. And then Kaylee definitely wasn't two. I got her in October and her second birthday wasn't until November. So, you know, aging, it was like, okay, here we go with kind of puppy again. And it's not, but it's not that they're not housebroken and all that because they're housebroken during their puppy raising days and all of that. It's just their antics. Mm -hmm. They have the attitude and the energy of puppies, but once they get out of that, they, they tend to calm down a little bit. And, but the personality is still there, which is fantastic, which is what I, I absolutely love. I, I love the, I love how each dog has their own personality, has their own little quirks, has the things that they like to do and not like to do. I mean, I have a German shepherd that is addicted to water (laughs) and people think I'm crazy because German shepherds are not known to be water dogs. And I'm like, yeah, you're talking to a woman who has a German shepherd who blows bubbles (laughs) when she's in water. That's that's how addicted to water this girl is. She whines whenever we walk past a pool and she can't go swimming. Or when she sees puddles, she has to jump in them and go crazy and blow bubbles in the puddle. So, (laughs) you know, these are the kinds of things that you learn. And it's great living in Florida with a dog who loves water because we're around water all the time. That's awesome. Anything else that you want to say? Any final thoughts? Or Kimberly, any questions you might have for Elaine or... Anything else that we didn't mention? I, oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. You can go ahead first. No, go ahead. I answer. Okay. Um, do you ever get the um, the Do you ever have happen where people will come up to you in public and only ask you about your dog and kind of ignore you completely except for the dog questions? Uh, yes, I, I have that happen a lot, but I always take it as it's the first step in getting to know somebody. Okay. And that took me a little while to get to, to be okay with that, to get to be comfortable with the fact that, okay, sometimes people are going to come up to you just to ask you about the dog, but I take it as, well, at least they're asking me about something because when I was a cane user, I found that I could split the red sea when I would walk down the street and all of a sudden everybody would be completely quiet or they'd go about their day and they would completely ignore me. But with the dog, people are like, oh, hi. they're more, they're more, oh, hi, how are you? Have a nice day, you know, and, and that kind of thing, which to me, for me personally, I love it because I've always had trouble making friends. I've always found it difficult to, to talk to people, to talk to strangers and always felt kind of isolated. So Okay, fine. We just talk about the dog. Okay, I have no problem just talking about the dog. You want to talk about your German Shepherd that you had when you were a kid? Okay, I love hearing stories about the breed and how people absolutely love them because we finally have something in common. We may have nothing else in common, but that we have in common. And it can start... I swear friendships start from just one small conversation. Like, I've really gotten to know this one lady that I take the train with every day. 
And she approached me because she liked my dog. She liked the way Kaylee looked. She liked the way Kaylee was behaving. She absolutely loves how Kaylee has to wear little booties on her feet when <laughs> now because it's getting hot here. And it has just turned into something that I probably never would have met her. Mm-hmm. She probably she she even said to me, she goes, you know, I may not have ever given you the time of day if it weren't for the dog. Wow. She goes, nothing against you. It's just the way that she said she said, it's nothing against you. It's just yeah. you know, people need something in common with another person sometimes to have that that first interaction. Right. So it's a great icebreaker for me because it's like, you know, okay, so the first thing people see when they see me is the dog. But that means that the first thing that they see when they see me isn't my blindness. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with the cane, I'd go walking down the street and that's the very first thing that people see is blindness. And blindness scares people because it is one disability that anybody can get at any time. Mm-hmm. And when you grow up sighted, when you grow up having vision, losing that capability is scary. Right. 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 So for people to not see that when they look at the dog and to be like, hey, I can start a conversation with this person because she has a dog because, hey, I have a dog, too. I like dogs. I have dog experience. I... Unlike other people, some people would be like, oh, my God, everybody's going to yep, ask me about yep. my dog. I was just about I to say that. I don't really want to talk mm-hmm. to them. And, and there are people that will tell me, you know, I've seen guide dogs, service dog handlers before, and I've approached them the same way I approached you, and they, they're they really angry people. And it's like, well, you know, that's just their personality. Right. I've really learned about human diversity right. through right. all and- this because we're all so different. I personally find it to be an icebreaker and I hold on to that and I use it to my advantage. When I say I use it to my advantage, I walk into the room and when people are, when I'm kind of nervous to talk to somebody, it's like, Hey, I know you have a dog too. And it just starts a conversation. Right. right. And I, but, and I get it. And it's just, it's all individual. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, so if anybody out there hears this and knows Elaine Mara living in Maitland, sees a German Shepherd guide dog walking down the street, please feel free to say hi because <laughs> I am totally approachable and I would absolutely love to meet new people, make friends, do presentations to schools. And, and that's another thing, too. I love traveling and talking about guide dogs and the guide dog lifestyle Mm -hmm. and not necessarily about guiding eyes, the organization, but what they did for me. Cause it doesn't matter if you have a dog from guiding eyes or from guide dog foundation, from Southeastern guide dogs, guide dogs for the blind or any of the other schools in the international guide dog federation. We all have a similar strength a similar thread a similar experience Mm -hmm. that holds us together and keeps us as a community so my experience is going to be different from somebody from guide dog federation or from fidelco guide dogs or from southeastern but it's this it's this thing that it's just they're guide dogs we need to raise awareness that our dogs belong in public And if I can go out into a school or if I can go to an organization and show them what a real tried and true trained 
service dog guide dog looks like, I am all for it. I could talk about guide dogs for days. <laughs> people get me talking about them and it's like guys you're gonna need to tell me to stop right because you can't get me to right <laughs> well because i just have a passion right so thank you so much for letting me share this yeah and, and, and to be thank a resource you. from a distance yes yes absolutely <laughs> and thank you uh thank you so much for joining kimberly and i we always uh we we always love having guests that are willing to share their stories and their experiences. And you've covered so much of what we had planned to cover. So thank you so much for that, Elaine. It was great to have You're you. You're welcome. And if there's so anything, nice. if there's anything else I can do, if you want to contact me, if any of your listeners want to get in touch with me, feel free to link my email address. I just ask that it's just email only, but I am more than happy to take questions or anything. And if you want me to come back on your show, I would be more than happy to follow up with yeah, you Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because you're doing something awesome. Are you, are you on Facebook Thank or Twitter you. at all? Am I? Pardon? I, you broke Sorry. up that last are you Are you on Facebook so, at all? Oh, yes. Of course. So would people be able to connect with you on Facebook? Connect with me on Facebook. Connect with me on email. Sure. Awesome. Send me messages. Glad to answer any questions anybody has. Awesome. Thank you so if much. You're, if you're not already on it, we do have a Facebook and Twitter page if you'd like to um, follow those. Yeah, follow us. Oh, I will definitely follow those. Please send me an invite and I will definitely follow your I pages. will. Thank you so much, Elaine. We love to have you. Thanks, CNG. Have a great day, guys. And thank you so much for doing all you do. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was Elaine Mara with us, Guiding Eyes graduate from Florida. And it was awesome to, to have her onto this podcast. She really answered a lot of what we... We had, you know, on our show notes and everything. One thing that I do paraphrase this is that the misconception that a lot of people have is that a guide dog knows where they want to go. Like, you can't just have your guide dog Flopsy and say, hey, Flopsy, take me to Starbucks. They're not going to take you to Starbucks. Flopsy's not going to tell you when the light is green. You have to make that decision. So basically, the guide dog serves as the eyes and the human serves as the brain. That's the way it works. Kimberly, do you have anything you want to add? Or Yeah, um, I'm so glad you mentioned that because a lot of people assume that if you just tell your guide dog, like, go to class, say you're in college, walking down the hall, bring me to class. Well, that class is only going to be there for like, what, four months? And then after that, if you say go to class to the dog, it's going to bring you to your previous class. And you you more than likely are going to have more than one class and in the same buildings or throughout the campus. And so those types of commands are not appropriate for the dog. They're not a GPS. You can't just give them an address or say go to Starbucks and they know what you're talking about. That's where the different commands come in like 
follow. Follow means follow the person in front of you. You know, um, hop up. I've heard that yes. command meaning like you want to. Yeah, because hop up, one? hop up is actually there's three different uses for hop up. So. Um, with hop up, you'll just if you're by if uh, you're walking and and you're at the curb and you want the dog to be or no, that's a bad example. Um, because I'm not a guide dog user yet. So <laughs> let's say you're like by the staircases, right? So you say you tell your dog, you know, find the stairs. They lead you to the staircase, and you want to get closer. Um, so you'll say hop up, and the dog will get closer to the stair or curb. Or whatever it is. And they'll let you know that it's there. Or, well that's like the best way that I can explain that. But then you also use hop up if, let's say you're walking and you want your dog to speed up. So you say, hop up! And, you know, the dog will speed up. Or, like, if your dog is distracted by something, you would correct it and you'd say, hop up! Like, you know, that meaning like, oh... You're distracted, but, you know, stop being distracted. Come on, hurry up. We got to go. Like, that's just the way that I could, that I could explain it. But I'm sure that I'm going to have a guide dog user confirm that for me, our next guest. But um, I also wanted to kind of touch base on the white cane law a little bit and the ADA and public access because we did talk a little bit about it. So each state, I think I've mentioned this in the first episode, each state has their own version of the white cane law, but basically what it is, is an operator of a vehicle shall stop the vehicle before approaching closer than 10 feet to a pedestrian who is either carrying a white cane or using a service animal, like a guide dog. And they would take the precautions necessary to avoid an accident or an injury to the pedestrian. So that is just what what that means. Um, I will definitely link information about that in the show notes below as well as information about Guiding Eyes, which is a school that Elaine went, and I'll also link um, information about the ADA and service animals, and also um, the International Guide Dog Federation, which you can find information about each of the schools in the U.S. and different parts of the country. Well, I mean, different countries, I should say, not different parts of the country, because we do have a lot of guide dog schools here, but other countries such as Canada, the UK, Ireland, and Australia, like, they have they have guide dog schools, too, so. But anyway. Oh, and then with public access, I also just wanted to mention that the a service animal, not just guide dogs, but service animals, are allowed anywhere where the general public is allowed. The only places that they're not allowed in would be like places that aren't sterile, like burn units, operating rooms, or anywhere where the general public isn't allowed in. That's where they're not allowed. But anyway, Kimberly, anything you wanted to say or add? Sure, I'll add that all guide dogs when they are working, they are harnessed. 
and they they wear a harness and there's a big bright you can't miss it sign that says do not pet this dog and we went a little bit um into that before but so many times when we're out in public people will just stop and start petting the dog or kids and the sign is there but their main focus is oh cute doggy and it's so important that you not do that because that distracts them hence the harness being on them they know when that harness is on that they are working and so please obey that sign teach your kids to obey that sign i've heard stories about the kid asking the guide dog handler if they can pet it and they'll look to their mom and the mom will be like oh yeah sure um first of all when you i i think kids should be taught to not pet strangers dogs um it's just a given you don't know what their temperament is they might bite you you know it's just a safety precaution but well with any dog i don't guide dogs guide dogs are not they're not trained to bite. They're not trained to protect in any way. But all they know is they need to keep their handlers safe. So it's not that they would bite you. It's more so that you would distract them from their job. So if you see a harness, whether whether the handler has a sign saying do not pet or not, because I know some handlers don't have them, never ever distract a service animal because you have no idea when that handler might be crossing the street if it's a guide dog that dog won't know what's going on because it's being petted and that will jeopardize that team and that in their safety or if somebody has a seizure alert dog and that person slips into a seizure and you're petting their dog that dog won't wouldn't have been able to alert that person So that's just an example. Just never, ever distract a working dog team. That's all that we're going to get at because it's really, really important that they keep their handlers safe.